need a bigger boat. What a lovely day! I'm having an old friend for dinner. You are a toy! She wouldn't even have a fly. You can't handle the truth! I'll be back. English motherfucker, do you speak it? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. Welcome back to another episode of Cinematic Blind Spots. This is episode 11, and the third episode in our season of horror. And today, we are not talking about an animated movie. Woohoo! Surprise, surprise. Oh, come on. Give me a break. <laughs> yeah, I do watch stuff besides cartoons. This was the movie I picked for Josh's blind spot. I can't believe he hadn't seen this yet, because this movie is a horror classic. I tend to think the remake is a bigger, is more well known than this. Really? I I feel like it is. I I don't I, I now now granted the remake was great. It was an excellent movie, but I still think the original. You gotta gotta give it credit. We are talking about the 1958 horror classic, The Blob. <laughs> Thinking back, this was probably my first horror movie. Yeah, I was surprised when you said you'd seen this. Well, when I was a kid in elementary school, our elementary school library had a series of books. They were, you know, picture books with, they were actually frames of movies of all these old black and white horror movies, or in this case it was color, but all the pictures were black and white. But stuff like Creature from the Black Lagoon, and It Came from Outer Space, and Frank Frankenstein and Dracula, and... Oh, okay. And um, there was one I always wanted to see but could never find, but it was called The Deadly Mantis. It's <laughs> about a giant praying mantis. So um, Yeah, the 50s were definitely a big time for like big, oversized creature features. Yeah, will. yeah. Even before like we started getting the kaiju movies, like stuff from Japan. Um, but And The Blob was one of them. And I remember, I can't remember if I found it at the library or found it at Blockbuster, one of those places. My dad let me rent it, and I went home and watched it. This movie has a critic score of 66% and an audience score of 52%. It was written by Theodore Simons and directed by Irvin S. Yeworth, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. And also an uncredited director was Russell S. Doughton. Russell S. Downton, okay. And they're both juniors, I noticed. Huh. Yearworth and Downton were both juniors. So, in this movie, pretty much the only actor you're going to see in anything else is Steve McQueen. I've ne- I looked through the IMDb's and had not seen anybody else in anything else, I don't think. And I noticed that this was pretty much his first, like, big star role. It was. Like, everything else it before was. it was. Fun fact, in this case, kind of a sad fact, he was offered, when he made this movie, he was offered either 10% of the revenue of this movie or $2,500, $2,500. I know that was 1958 money, but that's still, that's not much at all. When you compare the fact that this, um, let's see, this movie cost $240,000 to make in 1958, which would be about 2.1 million today. So that is still very low budget. And this movie ended up grossing about four million. And he took the twenty five hundred. And he took the twenty five hundred. I'm sure he kicked himself for that. <laughs> so this movie, like I said, this was my first horror movie. I remember watching it and immediately being intrigued 
because this movie does something that more horror movies need, in my opinion, and that is a theme song. <laughs> there is a theme song at the beginning of this yes, movie. Yes, there is. And it's this plucky kind of jazzy little tune about the blob. Yep. And yeah, it's like this. Yes, that's more more movies about you know sentient beings from outer space that want to consume all of, all of humanity. It would fit right into a fifties beach movie. Yeah, it would. I mean, that's, that's, that's <laughs> <laughs> so, so I learned some interesting stuff about this movie. Oh, it was okay. actually made in um, it was made in Pennsylvania, and the town one of the towns that it was shot in. Um actually still has a festival to this day called Blobfest. Oh, awesome. Where, this was funny because I looked up the um, the special effects to see what they actually made the blob out of. And it was like a, uh, it was like a... Um, I know it's still on display at a museum, It right? is still on display. Yes, it is. Let me see if I can find it. It was... Like silicon and water and like red food coloring or something, and it is it, it is is actually still wet. It's not dry. Right. I heard you it. Know, didn't, yeah, I did read where it didn't dry out. Seventy yeah. years later, this <laughs> thing is still not dried out. It's crazy. Um, no, not sure who came up with the idea for the blob, but um, the story came from one. Irvine H. Milgate. Because um, like in like you said, in like, well, you know, you think about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon. A lot of movies in the 50s, a lot of these horror movies in the 50s involved a guy in some suit. Right. You know, a human being in a suit. So this guy came up with the idea of a movie monster that was not a guy dressed up in a suit. Some kind of form that's never been done before. So um, they pitched the idea back and forth. And... Then they came up with the idea of a mineral that if you got involved with it can absorb your flesh. And you think about it, that's pretty terrifying. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in Valley Forge, they were making they that's where they, they were starting to make this movie. They started to storyboard it out. Um But when they when they finally had a few of the major sequences in place, they turned to a guy named Theodore Simonson, who was a minister. A, you know, a Pennsylvania minister and a, for, and a former actress, Kate Phillips, to help write the screenplay. Um, so they decided to cast this 27-year-old unknown actor named by the name of Steve McQueen, like we said. Actually, his name was... Um, Steven. Steven, yes. He was going to see you. This was the last time he went as Steven McQueen. Mm-hmm. But man... This is one of those older actors playing a teenager. Yeah. And he's he, like, tw- but he looks 27. He doesn't look like a teenager to me. No, no, he does not. He like, he's got lines in his face and shit like that. Um, but yeah, it's pretty interesting. I, 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 you know, my girlfriend is from Pennsylvania. Hopefully someday, if we ever make it back up that way, I would love to go to Blobfest. <laughs> just to just to experience it because like they, that does sound fun they actually reenact the scene from later in the movie where everybody's running out of the theater they, oh wow. so so like a bunch of the bunch of the festival goers get to do that they get to <laughs> get to reenact that scene very cool so this movie starts out like like when you think about it this movie probably created so many horror movie tropes it starts out with a guy and a girl sitting in a car at night alone mm. in the middle of nowhere making out 
and under the stars under the stars <laughs> and they see a shooting star that actually lands close by so what do they do hey let's go check it out that looked like it was pretty close so then we cut to this scene of this you know little shack of a cabin <laughs> sitting in the middle of the woods and this old guy comes out and like uh, he, 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 I, I think he like hears a dog barking or something, but he's got his dog with him, so it's not his dog. Yeah. He just hears it and goes out to investigate. Yep. He's got and his he, lantern. He's got a lantern. He finds this meteorite and, of course, does what anyone in a horror movie does, pokes it with a stick. Yep. Which cracks it open. And to reveal a warm, gooey center. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then he decides to poke that goo in the middle with the stick. Yep. And he, it, it sticks to the stick, and he turns it upside down so that it's, like, hanging down, but then it crawls oh, up oh. onto his hand. Yep. And at this point is when the couple pulls up. Yep, the couple pulls up, and, oh, they're still looking for it. And this poor guy is, you know, obviously can't get this stuff off of his hand, so he goes running off. Well, they, they're deciding to go home because they can't find where it is, and just then this old guy runs across the street right in front of them, almost hit him. At this point, you can already see this goo has gotten bigger it's gotten, on his hand. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's just, already gotten bigger. It's <laughs> only been there for a little while, and it's already gotten bigger. Um, oh, and by the way, we should we should note that the uh, the, the two the couple we saw making out is uh, Steve and um, oh, what's the girl's name? Is it Jane? Yes, Jane. Steve and Jane. <laughs> Steve McQueen playing a guy named Steve. How about yes. that? So. They say they're going to take him to the doctor. They say they're going to take him to the doctor. And this is a small town, so it's not like they've got a big hospital. They've got this little tiny doctor's clinic to go to. And the doctor is getting ready to leave for the night just as they pull up. Yes. And they're like, Doc, you got to look at this guy. Well, on the way, they uh, they pass those three guys in the truck. Oh, right. The, th- well, know, the three guys in the other car. And, and, like, and, and they, they pass them on the road like because they're, they're not going fast enough. And the three guys are like, oh, yeah, he can't do that to us. We know who that is. That's Steve. He can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, typical, stereotypical 1950s machismo BS. So they take this guy, this old guy, to the doctor. They have his arm covered up. Have his arm covered up and take it off, and it's even gotten bigger. <laughs> and what I put it here, to me, it looked like a rack of barbecue ribs. It when did. They it really did. Uncovered. Um. So they, 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 they asked Steve to go back. Mm-hmm. To where they found this guy. Go back guy to where they found this see guy. See if they knew anybody that saw mm-hmm. anything or knew this guy. Right. And uh, when they get out of the the doctor's office, the punks from earlier are waiting for Steve. Yeah, and they the start, guy's like, you beat the champ. Yeah, you beat the champ. Like, why are you the champ? Like, apparently yeah. there's only like two cars in this town. and <laughs> Because he went he went in front of him. Yeah, he, he beat went, him. Yeah, That's he beating beat the champ, the champ. I, I don't know if that counts as, how that counts as a race. But, um... Oh no, we're gonna race you! It's like we want to race it again. It's like in the fifties, I guess anybody with a car wanted to race anybody else with a car. Um, this is an interesting race. It is a very interesting race because they decide to race backwards, <laughs> in reverse, and Steve's idea. Yeah, Steve's idea, and he stops just short of a traffic light so that they, the the other guys, pass through it, and then it turns red, and that's when he gets out like, "No, we beat you! No, you can't come after us because the light's red." And like. Like, these guys are really going to obey the traffic right. laws. And but that backfires on Steve. Yeah, that backfires on Steve when the cops I'm show up. <laughs> now, I I can't believe how many times I have made this reference in, in an episode we've been talking about. But did you look at the cop's car? No, I guess not. It was, I guess, a 57 Plymouth Fury. 
Really? It looked just like Christine, except it was a four-door, and it had it was black, and it had a police light on top of it. Well, at least in this case, that would have been a new car. Yeah, it would have been a new was, car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nope, I didn't so, notice that. Yeah. Yeah, just imagine Christine, but a cop car. So the cop threatens to book him for reckless driving, but then they start talking about his parents, and you know, it's like, this is so the 50s. Oh, you don't want us to call your parents, do you? <laughs> Nowadays, it'd be like, bitch, we're going to call your parents. You're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but Steve is not at all a smooth talker. He's like trying to talk his way out. He's just like stammering through his lines. I don't know if that was like part of the character or maybe Steve McQueen couldn't remember his lines or what. He's just like, there, there, there's a few times in this movie where he says something and you can't understand what he's saying. Um, there were, there were times where I thought something was wrong with the audio on the copy that I was watching. I was like, is something wrong with this? Um, but now the punks from earlier are suddenly friendly. They're saying, oh, well, it's, it's, you're lucky you got that cop and not this other cop because right. this other cop's a real dick. Um, and back to the dock. The mass on the guy's hand is still getting larger. And the cop... Well, because you see the doctor, he's on the phone. He's, and mm-hmm. in the background, you know, you see this thing rising up under the blanket. Yeah, well, I think he could actually see it, like, reflected in a mirror because he had a blanket pulled up over the, over the old guy. And he could see the blanket moving. Right. So yeah. he knows whatever is up with this thing is, is it's alive. Um, Steve and the guys find the crater from earlier. And there's, there's a line that I always remembered from the first time I saw this when I was a kid, when one of the guy picks up the rocks is like, so you mean this little rock's been hot riding around up there? <laughs> <laughs> always remember that line. For uh, some and then reason. They, they toss the rock around like hot potato. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then they hear a dog barking. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember which of the guy, but I had to write this line down. That doesn't sound like a house. It sounds like a dog. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, there's some, there is some great dialogue in this movie, especially when uh, Jane's little brother comes in later. Uh, but the doc has called his nurse back. And uh, the guys decide they want to go to the spook show at the movies. Yes. They find this old man's dog and decide to take it back with them. And um, back at the dock, the old man is suddenly gone. Like, there's nothing left of him. Like, the whole, the table he was on is just empty. Right. There's no blood. There's no trails of goo. There's nothing. And the blob has gotten bigger. And by the, nur- this, the nurse has come. Yeah, the nurse is here by this time. And, and uh, the doctor says to throw acid on it. And, it th- and she throws acid on it. And it doesn't do anything. Did you see what this acid is actually used for? No. This trichloriatic acid? Uh-huh is actually used to treat genital warts. <laughs> that was one of the fun facts. <laughs> yes. So the blob is stronger than genital warts. <laughs> oh, boy. We're, we're so screwed. Um, but then the doc... And, 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 and this, was so, that, this was what was so funny. She does one thing. She throws acid on this. And she goes, Doctor, nothing can stop it. <laughs> Like, that's, you tried one thing. Could you try something else, maybe? Like, throw a rock at it. I don't know, something. And, and uh, then the doctor goes and gets his gun. He's got, for, what kind of doctor keeps a, a double-barreled shotgun in his, in his doctor's office? Um, but he comes, he comes back, and, and, you know, Kate has done the whole 1950s victim fall. Oh, she fall, fell. Knocks out knocks the Knocks light. out the lights. Yeah. And when he comes back, she's just gone. Yep. So suddenly the blob has started eating a lot faster. It took him a little while to get through this old man, but now he's just scarfing down people right. in <laughs> seconds, apparently. And 
He shoots the blob. He shoots the blob. And you actually see like the little pop like whenever yeah. <laughs> whenever the the bullets are supposedly hitting and nothing nothing happens. No. It doesn't do anything. So Steve and Jane arrive back at the dock's place and you know they they ring the doorbell, and nothing happens, they can't get it open. And then Steve sees the dock getting eaten by the blob just briefly. The the doctor's like trying to break out a window or something. Right, yeah. He sees it. So Steve goes and calls the cops, and of course they don't believe him. This is again, this is like the origin of the dumb cops in horror movies. And so. you can tell this is a small town because the cops have a chess set in one of the Yeah, drawers. one of the cops is playing a chess game with another cop in another county or something. Um they say the docs, or, or you know, uh, Steve and Jane say that the doc's dead, and the and the doc and the, the cops just brush it off. Uh, and they he keeps say, calling it some giant mass. Yeah, some yeah. giant mass. I mean, um, <laughs> but and, then the officer playing chess, mm-hmm. he starts making these calls over the radio like mm-hmm. it's something serious, and you realize he's making chess moves. Yeah, and 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 like <laughs> it takes like. 20 30 seconds when it's like there's like suspenseful music being played right. and and he's he's making chess moves over the over the radio and then someone says like and then the guy on the other says says checkmate and then the music stops and he's just like oh darn yeah <laughs> i was like really yeah that's what that was leading to? yeah that was what that's what all that was leading up to um but there's one cop I, what did they call him it was like deacon or something like that he's just a real asshole like he looks at everything like, ah, oh, these kids are pulling a prank. And like, that would be the easiest town to get away with crimes in. You just, like, go go rob a bank, and he's just like, oh, these kids are just pulling a prank. They're trying to pull one over on us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Steve and the cops arrive at the doc's house and just decide to go in. And the yep. electricity is out. out. Yep. So did the blob eat the light? I, I don't know. And, yeah, um... They get in. The room's wrecked. The room is destroyed. The doctor can't be found. Yeah, doctors and doctors. And the room was locked from the inside too. Yes, yes. The doc, the 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 cop had to break out a window and climb through to to open the door so that the other cops could get in. And that was the cop who thinks this was all a prank. And he he's like he saw that it was locked. He saw what the state of the room was in. <laughs> and then this random old lady shows up. Well, the doc is on the phone with her earlier. Yeah, earlier he was on the phone with her, and he was saying that he was going out of town for something. Right. Um, but he obviously didn't. He didn't make it because they arrived right as he was they, leaving. Yeah, just as he was leaving. Um, but yeah, I don't know how she all of a sudden knew to show up. Yeah. I, like, was she living in the house? Was she living in the <laughs> upstairs or something? I mean, if she, that was the case, how did she not hear what was happening down there? I don't know. Um, then we get a cut to a random garage where two guys are working. And one of them is very... The guy who's under the car is very excited about how drunk he is going to get this weekend. <laughs> Like he said, I think he says something like, yeah, my old lady thinks I'm going to go out, take the kids out fishing, but I'm actually going to go out drinking. I'm like, wow, you're a real piece of shit, aren't you? Father of the year. Father of the year. Yes. And we see the blob. We can actually see underneath the car that the blob is like slowly rolling up towards him. And this other guy is talking. This guy is talking even after his, the guy he is talking to is, is, has gone. Yeah, he he's don't like, care anymore. yeah, the, the guy, the guy who's, who's working with this guy is like, I'm going home. I'll see you later. And then... We, you know, we hear this guy start to struggle, and I, did, I think we see his feet getting pulled under the yeah. car or something. So the blob got him, too. And now the cops call Steve and Jane's parents. Like I said, this really is the 50s. And Jane's 
fathers, oh, what are you doing out with this? With you, these kids, they keep calling them kids. These kids, you kids. And yeah, Steve, Steve McQueen was like 27 when he made this and movie. And looked 27. And looked very 27. <laughs> he did now, not. Now, I guess when I first watched this movie, it didn't occur to me how old he was because I was probably seven or eight. Yeah. So yeah, yeah he, for all I know, he could have been 15. Um, but at least one of the cops doesn't think this is a prank. Right. So we cut to Jane in her house. You know, Jane and Steve make this make this idea, you know, get this idea that, hey, let's go meet up and and really find out what happens. So Jane is sneaking out of her house and her little brother comes out. Her little brother, I can't remember the kid's name, but this kid was awful. <laughs> he was like the origin of the bad child actor. I, mean, I don't know. Because he talked... He talks like this, and he talks really slow, and he he's like got a speech impediment. I thought you were doing Adam Sandler impersonation for a second. <laughs> and, he, and 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 Jane is try, trying to get this kid to shut up and go back to bed, and she's like, "Well, if if you go back to bed, I'll I'll bring you your own dog." Like obviously, she's talking about the old man's dog, which yeah. they don't know where it went, <laughs> and and the kid says. <laughs> Like, cause like, can I name it? And she's like, you can name it whatever you want. And he says, can I name it William? And she's like, sure. And the kid goes, I don't like William. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's what counts as, I guess that's what, what passes as a child's thought process. Maybe. So now Steve is making out or Steve is sneaking out, excuse me, and making the most noise I think I've ever heard someone getting dressed. Like he's, he's pretending to be asleep. Right. And then his dad opens the door and, you know, sees that he's asleep and closes the door. And while his parents are still outside and still talking, he's getting dressed. And he's making so much. He's like, <laughs> all his clothes. is like, does he dress in Velcro or what? Because <laughs> all of his clothes are making so much noise. And at this point, this is definitely the 50s because they, they have to, you know, pause the action and the movie and the suspense and have a nice romantic tender moment between Steve and Jane because... He meets her, or, or no, she, she, he crawls outside. The, and she's there. Uh, and she's there. That's yes. like the, the one of the biggest jump scares, fake jump scares of this movie. Maybe yeah. that's the first ever fake jump scare. <laughs> Who knows? Where it's like, ah, and then, oh, no, it's Jane. Never mind. So far, Steve is the only person in this movie who has actually seen the blob. And now Steve is even beginning to, de- to doubt himself, but Jane still believes him. So they sneak out together to look for the other guys. Uh, Tony... Mooch and I forget the third guy's name, but yeah, Mooch. Could you think of a more stereotypical (laughs) dumb guy name from the 1950s? Mooch. Um, Steve tells them about the blob, and but and these these guys are upset though because they wasted a whole 80 cents on a movie. Yeah, 80 cents on a movie. Could you imagine? (sighs) Wouldn't that be great? (laughs) I don't know, man. I went to see Jurassic Park: Fallen Kingdom and paid 50 cents to see it, and I still regretted that decision. I'll never waste my free regal points on on that movie again, on a <laughs> Jurassic World movie again. Um, but but okay, one of the guys believes him, and um, we cut back to the cops. One of them mentions an empty bar, like a bar where the lights were all on, but nobody was inside, but no money was taken from the register, so they're still looking for the doc. They're still like they contact the doctor that he was supposed to be meeting or the hotel right. he was supposed to be staying yeah. at. And no one's, no one's heard from him or seen him. And now Steve and his friends are literally knocking on doors 
of just random people trying to tell them about a monster, like a monster that they have not even seen. Like they, they, they knock on this door and this guy, and they're having some party and this guy's like, Hey, what are you kids doing here? Oh, yeah. and he's obviously drunk. <clears throat> and they're like, we're trying to warn you. And, and they just laugh. They just laugh. Yep. And, uh, this, and then you got two guys there in the woods and they end up coming across a couple making out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like, Oh, sorry. We, we were just, uh, we were just looking for something. Um, and they happen upon the dog from earlier that went missing. And it's right outside the door to Steve's dad's store. Which, yeah, they didn't really mention that in the earlier on, but Steve's dad apparently owns a store. It's like a grocery store or something. Um, but they find that the door is unlocked. And this late at night, it should be closed. Mm-hmm. At this late at night, it should be closed. Now the blob appears. And Jane, of course, falls over. She trips over a display of canned soup or something. And, you know... <laughs> that's just one of the worst tropes in movies period is like when someone trips and then someone else has to come pick them up and help them. It's like, it's not like she fell and broke her, broke her ankle or something. She just tripped over a display, but Steve still has to come and pick her well, up. Well, I actually, I thought she passed out at Oh, first you thought she, because okay. it was the first time she saw the blob. Yeah. May, well, may, yeah, you're right. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe she <clears> did <throat> faint. So they hide in a meat locker. And this is where we find that the blob doesn't like the cold. They don't find that out. Well, they don't they, find that. They don't realize. Yeah, they don't realize that. Because like, like I'm watching it, and mm-hmm. I see the blob start oozing under the door, mm-hmm. and as they're getting, it gets colder, it oozes out. I'm like, because I put it down, I was like, it must not like being cold. Yeah, it does not like the cold. Yeah. After the cops turn them down again, they because you know they call the cops and tell them what's happening. They decide like. Like, it was the cop, I can't remember his name. It was like Jim. Jim? It might have been, I don't know his last name, it's one. Okay. Jim's I, the one that's angry, at least. Yeah, he's always angry, like, every single well, time. A, apparently a teenager hit his wife in a car. Oh. Yeah. Okay, and that is why that. he hates all teenagers, basically, now. Oh. That is where we got that story. I made that note. Because okay. I think that's why he's angry at teenagers constantly. Oh, well. Anyways, like, they call the cops, and he literally, he, like, hangs up on him. He's like, hey, don't you bother us with this garbage again. Yep. Click. <clears throat> so they decide they are going to wake up the town themselves. Yep. So they start honking horns on cars. And this must be a really small town. Because everyone can hear it. everyone can hear it. They start honking horns and turning on sirens of, like, and fire trucks. Where do they get a fire truck from? I don't know, but I love when they cut to the this old guy in his room and he gets up and he's like, oh, it's an air raid. And then he hears the fire truck. Oh, wait a minute. It's it must a fire. be a fire. Yeah. So he's changing his hats out. Yeah, he's got these different hats. To. Like, he's got some kind of, like, um, civil service helmet. But then he's like, oh, it's a fire. And then he takes, he's like, puts on a fire helmet. <laughs> He's like, oh, I don't know what to wear. I don't know what to wear in this thing. I don't know what's happening. Um, I think so, this is where we get Jane's parents realizing that she's gone. She's gone, and the and the well, no, they they the little brother. They think the little brother's gone, but he's just he's asleep he's, on the couch. He's downstairs. Yeah. Yeah. So my question is, how did six kids, quote unquote, with two cars, make this much noise? <laughs> now suddenly, the lieutenant believes Steve, believes that what's happening. Uh, Officer and, Dave. I finally wrote it down. down oh, here. Dave. Right. Yes. Officer Dave. Lieutenant. Yeah, Lieutenant, yeah, Lieutenant Dave. Dave yeah. <laughs> Lieutenant Dave. <laughs> very close. <laughs> Almost. Very close. <laughs> now, this was one of my favorite parts of the movie because they cut to inside the theater where all these people are still watching the movie and we cut up to the projection guy. Yeah. Now, this was back when movies weren't digital and were still on reels and the projector guy would have to change the reels out. Well, the blob comes oozing through the vent of the little room that he's in. And 
obviously, you know, he doesn't make it. We see him kind of get got. And then the, like all the, the windows coming out of the little booth up there to turn red, you see the blob and the blob like comes squeezing out of the, of the, um, the windows. Probably one of my favorite shots of the movie. And there were off, like, like when you see the inside of that theater, there's probably like 30, 40 people in it. Maybe I don't yeah. know. It's, it doesn't seem like a big theater. And right. and also the screen, the screen was so tiny, like the screen, like there was a screen and then there was like five feet of curtain on each, yeah. on every side of it. So it was just a tiny screen. I mean, this was obviously before IMAX. <laughs> and you couldn't watch it at home. So and you couldn't how watch you it had to see it. Right. That was how you got to see it. So all these people come rushing out of this theater and that's when the cops, you know, hear all the screaming and then they see the blob coming out of the theater. And I'm guessing it consumed all, I mean, you see all these people come out, but it must've consumed a bunch of them. Yeah, it must've, this thing is it's huge, huge now. now. It's enormous. Yeah, it like must've... it was eating whole people and not, I mean, it would get bigger, but it mm-hmm. wasn't getting that big. Yeah. This wasn't... thing comes out now and it is huge. It's, yeah, it's it's enormous. Like the whole doors of the theater are just filled with the blob oozing out of it. Um, and Jane's little brother shows up with his like little Western six shooter cap gun and is shooting at it and <coughs> sees nothing's happening. And he runs into this diner, yep. this, ra- this random <coughs> diner that's there. And Steve and Jane run into the diner and the blob just engulfs this entire yep. building and starts to ooze through the windows so they're trying to think of a way they're going to stop this thing. And they think, oh, we could shoot this power line and... Electricity ele- will do it. Yeah, electricity will do it. <clears throat> so they shoot this power line. It falls on the blob. And this is all animated, but it's still pretty decent. Um, and it just kind of sits there and goes... But doesn't do anything. And it somehow sets the diner on, on fire. fire. Yep. I don't know how they could have set the diner on fire without cutting through the blob. Um so inside the diner, there's Steve and Jane and her little brother and I guess the chef and his wife, the two people who were working in the diner. And they're down in the basement. Yep. And the old guy picks up a fire extinguisher to try to put out the fire. And they see the blob start to come down the stairs under the door. Right. And Steve just instinctively takes the fire extinguisher and sprays the blob with it. And, and it starts to shrink. It starts back to bit. shrink back. Apparently, yeah. this is a this is a cold fire extinguisher. So, yeah, because he makes a point. It has to be a CO two extinguisher. Yeah, it has to be a CO two fire extinguisher specifically. And and he can yell outside. Oh, oh, I forgot. He was on the phone with the co- with the the police chief earlier, and he left the phone off the hook so he could still yell and they could still hear him. And he's like, "Get as many CO two fire extinguishers as you can." So. Then we get shots of them going all around this whole little town, grabbing Looking, every CO2 extinguisher they can. Yeah, and um, Jane's dad shows up earlier and says that there are 20 of those fire extinguishers in the, hus- in the, the high school. Not the hospital, right. the high school. I, I guess he may have been the principal or something. I don't know. I'm not sure. So they all get a bunch of CO2 fire extinguishers and freeze the blob. Yep. And then somehow convince Washington... Like, without sending any proof of this thing or anything, they just call Washington and say, hey, we got this big thing you need to take to the Arctic right now. <laughs> and this is probably one of the first big cliffhanger um, sequel bait endings in movies. Because at the end, you see, you know, they say something, like, well, I guess the nightmare is over. And one of them says, yeah, as long as the Arctic stays cold. cold. 
and you see the blob being dropped via parachute into the Arctic, and it says the end. And then puts a question mark. But then the end morphs into a question mark. Yes. <laughs> this movie is not by any means a masterpiece. But have you seen the sequel? Oh, I have the sequel. Oh, oh no, wait, no. You mean no, you mean, not you the mean remake. Beware the Blob? The Beware of the Blob, yes. I see that was the thing. When I was a kid and watched this on VHS, they had a trailer at the end of it for it wasn't called Beware the Blob, it was the Son of the Blob or oh. Son of the Blob or something hmm. like that. Son of a Blob. <laughs> <laughs> um I've seen bits and pieces of it. I haven't seen the whole thing. Well, have you seen no, it? No, I have not. I okay. was just curious when I saw um, that. They actually, I think they made three of them before they made the remake in 1988. Again, a remake 30 years after the original was made. Um, But as far as as remakes go, that's probably one of the best ones I've ever seen. If you're not up for 1950s cheesy goodness, (laughs) then I would highly recommend the the, uh, 1988 remake. Just for Kevin Dillon's hair alone. Well, that movie was so incredible because it still uses a mixture of stop-motion animation and, I guess, probably computer animation, too, or at least computer um, special effects. But I really I really feel like I should go back and watch more of these old black-and-white monster movies just to yeah, have like an appreciation for them. The 50s are what really what would be a huge blind spot for me, just in general. Yeah. Just movies from the 50s. I haven't Something seen that many either, like, apart from, you know, like, James Bond. I think the first James Bond movie was in 19... No, no, the first James Bond movie was 1964. No. I think, know. or 63. Um, but, yeah. The, I mean, you kind of... If you if you're, if you're have an appreciation for modern horror, you kind of got to go back and occasionally get some appreciation for old-school horror. I have, a, I have a DVD set that I found for $4 at a, a bookstore here. That is 50 classic black and white monster movies, including Nosferatu, including Lon Chaney's um, Phantom of the Opera. You know, so not even just black and white horror, but silent black and white horror. Uh, I remember when the AFI released their 100 Years, 100 Thrills, um, not, it wasn't a documentary, but it was a, you know, show where they talked about their top 100 thrillers of oh, all time. Okay. One of them was The Portrait of Dorian Gray, which was a black and white movie up until the very end when they show you what the, what the final, what the portrait looked like at the end. They did that in color. I don't know how they managed to do that. Hmm. But uh, some of those old black and white horror movies can be downright creepy. Oh, yeah, especially Nosferatu. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm just about anything with Vincent Price, too. <laughs> Every time I think of Vincent Price, I think of Vincent. That um, I think that was the first animated short that uh, Tim Burton did. Mm. Do you remember that one? Yes. Okay, that's a really good one. Yep. So that wraps up our third episode of Season of Horror and our 11th episode of Cinematic Blind Spots. So, yeah, I mean... What what did you think of all this? I mean, overall, it's pretty good. It's definitely cheesy, but it's fifties. I knew that going mm-hmm. in. Yeah, you, so you, overall, this you was can't a good watch one. something from the fifties and expect it to be you know <clears throat> logical and all make sense and cohesive and. Yeah, I'd have to watch something from one of the big Hollywood studios at the time. Yeah, like, and, and see, this wasn't even a big Hollywood no, studio. No, it wasn't no. even that. So until next time, I'm Adam and I'm Josh, and whether you're in your car or in your theater, always check your blind spot. You guys take care. We'll talk to you next time.